So I just want to thank you for coming and also those watching through the live stream as well. I think it's really cool that people at home, in case they're not able to make it, they're able to watch and see the teaching. Now, yesterday morning, I know I'm not the only one that felt this way when you stepped out of your house. When I stepped out, I said, summer is over. Ya se acabó summer. El verano se fue por la ventana. Para allá se fue. You know, the moment you stepped out and you felt that fall breeze and it was definitely chilly. It got a little warmer during the day. But definitely I felt, hey, summer's over. And it's so funny because shortly after that, I went on Facebook and I saw two different people from our church. I'm not going to mention who they are. One of them is actually related to me. So uh, they posted this. They, they posted, September 22nd is the first day of fall. Not today. Not tomorrow. Put that pumpkin down and stop being a life ruiner. And then in addition to that, they put P.S. Pumpkin spice causes constipation. <laughs> so all of you that are in this house and you're pumpkin lovers, all right? Pumpkin spice, pumpkin cupcakes, whatever. I know some of you ran to Krispy Kreme because you had those pumpkin donuts that were, had cheesecake in them. That's like a heart attack and a donut. It's like, don't run for those donuts. So it's like all of a sudden for those of us, and let me tell you, I'm guilty as charged. I love my pumpkin spice. Like the first day I knew that Dunkin' Donuts had pumpkin spice, that day I had two coffees from pump, uh, pumpkin spice coffees from Dunkin' Donuts. But definitely summer is not over yet. Summer is over on the 22nd of September. And there'll definitely be some things that we're going to miss from the summer. We're going to miss the hot days. So, some of us, we're excited the summer's over. It's like, thank you, Jesus. But we're going to miss the hot days. We're going to miss the boardwalks, okay? Some of you might have gone down. This year, we went to Wildwood, uh, my wife and I, and we took our dogs. They have an excellent dog park. So any of you that are dog lovers, you could take your dogs to Wildwood. Excellent, excellent. So you, you might miss the boardwalk. Some of you are going to miss, uh, like, all the amazing things you could eat at the boardwalk, like funnel cake, uh, fried Oreos, and all that fun stuff. Some of us went to amusement parks, right? Some of us, maybe. Some of us be like, no, nobody got time for that. They're so expensive. It's like, I have a big family. It's like, they're too expensive. But amusement parks are really, really cool. And I think here, if I would ask you, what are the major things you love about amusement parks? Some of you would say the roller coasters. How many of you are roller coaster people? All right. You like all those crazy spinning things, don't you? Roller coaster. How many of you like me are like dipping dots people? It's like, I'm just there to eat dipping dots. It's like, little do you know, Jesus makes them in a freezer back in the amusement park area. But those, I don't know, why are dipping dots so good? It's like heaven melting in your mouth. You know what I mean? It's like dipping dots are great. But... Also, I have a confession to make. One of my favorite, favorite things about amusement parks, and I want you, I don't want to be the only one here. Like, if, if legit, this is one of your favorite things, too. Please make some type of noise or something. I love being on the lazy river. All right, all right. Yo, being on the lazy river 
is so cool. Like just being able to be there, just mad lazy. You know what I mean? Like drifting away. And as you go, obviously there's something that happens while you're going on the lazy river. What happens? Out of nowhere, these waterfalls start coming down. Now there's two different types of people in this world. There are those that panic so much that it's almost as if they needed a little diaper. You know, they're panicking so much that they want to avoid the waterfall. And then there's the person that wants to go and be aligned perfectly with that waterfall and get drenched. And in addition to that, they want to get everyone else drenched as well. So sometimes you might clip your toes underneath someone else's ring to try to push them and guide them underneath the waterfall. Anybody know what I'm talking about a little bit? All right, how many of you, and be honest, you would avoid the waterfall, raise your hand. Avoid. Oh, I just saw Pastor Diana's hand go up. Okay, and John. All right. How many of you would go right to the waterfall? All right. All right. The majority of you. So just wanting to be aligned to it. It's funny because even today as we're starting off a new series called Anointed Walking in the Power of God, God gave me the picture of the lazy river. And when I was thinking about it and God speaking to me, pretty much God was saying that most Christians approach their life wanting to drift along the lazy river, you could say. I want you to imagine the river being God's presence and the waterfall being God's presence as well, like an overflow. But most people, they're content with just drifting along, having God or God's presence close but not too close, and once in a while dipping their feet in the water as they're floating by. And when I say dipping the feet, you know, once in a while you might say it's like you, you had an experience or you went a little bit deeper when it came to the things of God. But whenever there's an opportunity to go to the overflow and to align your life to be bombarded with God's presence, we try to avoid it. We push our lives away and we try to drift, uh, uh, like pretty much going to whatever other direction we want to go to. But then there's some of us that we want more of God than anything else. It's like we want to be in that river soaking wet. Like you, you don't care about jumping off the tube. You want to go swimming in the tube, when that waterfall comes, you want to place yourself aligned to that waterfall as long as you can be there. Trying to hold the side, not to be pulled away. You just want to be soaked in God's presence. But if you've ever been to a lazy river, you know that it's not easy to stay aligned to receive God's presence, you could say, to that level. When you're in the physical lazy river, you know that in, in a sense you're being pulled in some ways and you have to hold aside. It requires strength. It requires focus. It, re it requires for, for you to be intentional, to be aligned and to be, have God's presence poured upon you. I wonder who you are when it comes to that spiritually. 
I asked you in the beginning, when it comes to the physical lazy river, are you the one that avoids pretty much getting wet or being under the waterfall? Are you willing to be soaked with the waterfall and be soaked in the lazy river? How are you spiritually? When it comes to God and what God wants to do in your life, do you avoid allowing God's presence to impact, transform you, overwhelm you, fill your life to the point that it's overflowing and spilling in your house, wherever you go, at your workplace, in the community? You know, and everyone knows, and no matter what people might say about you, they cannot deny that God's presence is overflowing in your life. I have news for all of us. So many of us want to experience God's power, but we're not willing to pay the price to walk and be aligned in the way that God needs us to be. Because for us to overflow in God's presence, we first have to be empty of all the garbage, of all the sin, of all the compromise, of everything that we've allowed in our life that doesn't belong and you've used excuses to justify keeping them. You have to be completely empty so that God could pour his presence in you and to the point of overflow so it could spill to everyone around you. I don't care how much you might turn to God and say, God, give me more of your presence. Pour into me. God is looking at you like you're already filled, but it's not with me. You're filled with pretty much whatever your boyfriend and your girlfriend, your relationships, your job, your career, your money that you're chasing after. You're filled with so many things that the world dangles in front of you and you chase after it. You chased after it and just running up to it and seeing that it's empty in the end. It's almost like cotton candy. I've used this illustration before. It feels like it's so much you put in your mouth, it dissolves. It has no substance. But yet deep down inside, you're craving for substance, but we keep chasing after the wrong things. So if you want more of God, the first thing you have to do is to empty yourself. And let me tell you, for us, so many times, like we might wonder, it's like, how come we're not experiencing God's power and seeing miracles and seeing God move in powerful ways? I guarantee you, if there is a believer that's emptied themselves, and is filled with God's spirit and presence, and it's to the point of overflow. It's without question, wherever this person goes, God's presence will be tangible. Miracles will surround the, um, pretty much the person and the circumstances because God is overwhelming them so much that it goes beyond who they are in their life. If we had to measure how much of God we had in our life, I wonder how much it would be. But that's really just something that you only would be able to answer. Today we're going to start by reading Psalm 23. And I know we've read this psalm. It's probably the most power, um, popular psalm that there is. But this psalm, I want you to see it from a different set of eyes. I want you to see this as this being a life of someone walking in the power of God. So many times when we think of walking the power of God, we might think of the big moments, maybe the miracles. But let me tell you something. As we read Psalm 23, 
This is a description of someone that is walking in the power of God, keeping Jesus as the shepherd of their life. And you could see how you measure up to someone that's truly walking in God's power. Because walking in God's power, it's not just about an event or a moment or an experience. It's pretty much a daily, continuous experience that you have in God throughout your life as God equips you, fills you to the overflowing so that you can live a victorious life. Psalm 23, we're going to start in the beginning. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Think about that. Think about it. Like, honestly, we don't even have to continue reading Psalm 23. That's sufficient. I lack nothing. You know why you lack nothing? Because you have God's power in your life. He's filling you to the overflowing that you're so satisfied that you don't, you don't need anything else. I lack nothing. Remember, you have to measure where you're at next to this. Because this isn't just for King David. This is for all of us to live this type of life. Number two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Remember, this is a shepherd and a sheep. Sheep, they never lie down in green pastures unless they have no fear. As long as there's no drama happening among the other sheep, you know what I mean? As long as they're not hungry or unsatisfied, those are the only, pretty much when those things are out of the sheep's life or moment, that's when they're able to lay down. Because they know when they lay down, they're vulnerable and they trust their shepherd. So I wonder if we, even now, we have fear in our lives, if we, we're tons of drama or pretty much just hunger for, for other things. It continues, it says, he leads me besides quiet waters. And what's amazing is that sheep, they don't like going near rushing waters because they're not able to swim. But they trust God. They trust God that through the quiet waters, because of the power in their life, no matter what's happening in their life, they're able to trust God and walk knowing that God is able to silence the things around them. He refreshes my soul. Do we feel refreshed today? He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Do you feel God's presence guiding you in your life? If you don't, you're lacking walking in his power. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. So here stating, no matter what you're going through, the darkest moments of your life, do you fear those moments? Because when God is in the midst, even if everything around you, the report, what people are saying, what people are doing, is completely the opposite. You trust God and you know that there's no reason for you to fear. It says, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that too. It's like you prepare a table... In your life, you're always going to have haters. If you're tr Jesus had them. So if Jesus had them, we're all definitely going to have them. But what I love here is that even 
your haters and everyone that's trying to get you off course. Let me tell you, God will prepare a table before your enemies. And your enemies are going to be trying to reach out to get you, but yet God is in the midst, even preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Then it, it says this, you anoint my head with oil. Anointed. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Lazy river overflows. The water pouring. Anoint, the, uh, anoint my head with oil. And something that we need to realize is even the practice of anointing with oil goes back to ancient shepherds back then that they would pour oil over the sheep's heads. And the reason they would do that is because there would be a lot of bugs. There was actually this specific fly that would go to the sheep and try to dig within their ears and burrow to the point that within 24 hours they would have diseases and they could die. So what, what they would do, they would literally soak the, um, the sheep's head with oil so much that if any flies or bugs would come along the way, they would slip off and not be able to grip and pretty much make their way into their ear. And what's amazing is that I believe, too, that God anoints us with his oil. And let me tell you, there's a lot of spiritual bugs in this life. It's not about just the physical things we're kind of, spiritually, there's a lot of things that want to come in, bring disease and um, negatively impact our lives. But I believe that God's presence as is poured over you, the enemy can't and loses his grip as when the oil is overflowing, there's no grip that they're able to get. So I wonder for us where we are when it comes to that. And then it says this, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in case you're wondering, the word anoint means to smear or to rub with oil. That's pretty much all it means. But throughout scripture, the, of course, oil is symbolic to the Holy Spirit. To God's presence. And what I love about Psalm 23, even that part, is that you anoint my head with oil. Jesus being the shepherd, he anoints our head with oil and my cup overflows. He anoints our head with oil and his presence is to a point that overflows with my, uh, with, in our lives. Now something, obviously that's a beautiful psalm. We love to read it. Maybe you saw it in a different light today. But for you to be able to experience that type of relationship and power in God, that requires you to be disciplined, pay a price as well, and be able to walk closely with God to be able to experience the overflow. So what we're going to do now, we're going to go over five truths about the anointing. Obviously, there's so much to talk about when it comes to God's presence and the anointing and everything. And I mean, there's so many different topics overall that we could cover. But I'm going to highlight five truths that I believe is extremely important for us to know 
And of course, the entire month is a series on it. The first um, truth is this. The anointing marks you. The anointing marks you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, remember, oil is symbolic to the Holy Spirit. It says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So right there, Primus is saying is that the moment you give your life to the Lord, God marks you. He marks you with God's presence. The Holy Spirit begins to live on you. Now, obviously, you're probably saying, it's like, yo, Carlos, I gave my heart to Jesus. I don't see no marks on me. What's going on? Like, you know what I mean? It's not a physical mark. It's a spiritual mark. And I actually found this out very quickly when I first gave myself um, to the Lord in the beginning of those days. And pretty much one of my first, um, you could say, like little jobs that I had. I was with a group of people and I was in a whole different room doing a whole different thing. And they were there. This was actually an ambulance squad in Union. They, they were in the back room and they were actually playing with the Ouija board in the back room a group of people. Now, on a side note, any of you guys, the Ouija board is a hundred billion times demonic. It's completely real. It's not a game. I know they sell it in stores and stuff like that, but that is a demonic tool that the enemy uses. And I can tell you that with a hundred percent guarantee. So all I know is that they're playing with the Ouija board in the back room of the ambulance squad. And I recently gave myself to the Lord, like probably like a month or two or something like that. And I come and I step into the room and I'm seeing that thing move by itself. And it's spelling out, tell him to leave. And the guy, my friend looks at me, he's like, it doesn't want you here. And literally, in my mind, obviously, it took a couple seconds. I was like, oh, it must be God in me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm marked. I'm marked. It's like he sees something I don't, in a sense. And then it's like the moment, and honestly, the moment I saw and experienced that, I said, I'm not leaving. He can't tell me what to do. So I sat in the chair there. I was like, guys, you shouldn't be playing with this. This is demonic. I knew enough that it was from the enemy. But why did it have that response? It was because I was marked. I was marked by God. And the enemy saw that mark, the God's presence in my life. Number two, the anointing calls you. In 1 Samuel 16, it says this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Skip down to verse 6. It says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, 
Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider. Listen to this verse very carefully. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Don't, we have a lot of people that talk. The main voice you got to listen to is God's. Because there's so many people that talk. And let me tell you something. On a side note, I don't want to lose my place, but some of us need to shut off social media for a little bit. You know what I mean? Because the main voices we listen to are the comments. I know some people, I'm so depressed. I'm so sad. It's like, yeah, because you spent 10 hours looking at social media where everyone else posts. And do you actually even think the things that they post are accurate? They post whatever picture they want to make of their own lives. They don't, they don't put the real truth out there. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, if that's your main voice, social media, your friends that don't know God, some of us need to disconnect from our friends. Some of us need to disconnect from our boyfriend and girlfriend that don't serve God and don't want anything with God. And when I say disconnect, that could be official, like, disconnect, disconnect. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not like disconnect for 10 hours not talking. If the person doesn't love and follow God and is there to build you up and lead you in your destiny in him, peace. Hasta luego. Well, what did Pastor Femi used to say? Uh, See ya? I wouldn't want to be ya. That's straight from Texas, from Pastor Femi. So for you guys. Okay, ready? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Skipping down to verse 11, it says this. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now, mind you, Jesse didn't even bring David along. So think of the perspective of his own dad compared to God's perspective. Some of us in this room have been rejected by our fathers. Some of us in this room, our dads haven't believed in us, haven't been there for us. And one of the biggest mistakes we could ever make is pretty much align our view of God with our experience of our earthly father. Some of us have had amazing relationships with our earthly father. And I'm not saying, you know, obviously all of us didn't. You know, of course, many of us had a great relationship. But the major thing is that God's perspective and viewpoint is completely, completely different. Samuel asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? This is, this, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine um, appearance and handsome features. But of course, what God was looking at was his heart. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. The anointing calls you. Remember, God's presence is the Holy Spirit. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. I wonder how his brothers felt at that moment, right? In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came 
powerfully upon David, Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, something that we need to realize is this, is that when David was anointed, they believe he was around 15 years old. When he actually became king of the tribe of Judah, he was 30. So between, there were about 15 years. Now, obviously, God was still working with him, building him up, leading him to that point. But for us, it's a big lesson to really think about. How many of us, you know, God said something to you? God spoke to you. God shared a dream with you. You know, to you, you know, God's called you and anointed you to do something. And it's taken longer than what you thought, hasn't it? It's taken more than six months. It's taken more than a year. It's taken more than four years, five years, seven years, ten years. It's probably been 20 years. King David, it took him 15 years. And some people believe King David was as young as 10 when he got anointed. So if that's the case, it would be 20 years he had to wait. What have you done with that dream that God's placed in your heart? Have you killed it when it's still very much alive in God's heart, but just hasn't been the time yet? Don't kill what God hasn't killed. Some of us have said, no, it's not going to happen. When the reality is God is just waiting for the right time according to his schedule. And not to say anything, we're very impatient people. We're a generation of microwaves. Don't get me wrong, you know, sometimes when I'm tired, Carlos doesn't want to cook. I look over at the sofa, Jen is knocked out, sleeping, tarroncando. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I go straight to the microwave, pop something in the microwave, and just eat it. But when it comes to what God wants to produce in our lives, God doesn't use microwaves. And if we resist God, what could have taken 10 years or 15 years could, have taken, could take 30. Certain lessons we need to learn in the journey that we refuse to listen to. And we've decided to just float around in the lazy river when all that time God has wanted you to align yourself with the overflow of the waterfalls. You've traded the waterfalls of God's presence pretty much for the pretty much murky water of the world. The murky water of the world will never, never satisfy. The third truth about the anointing, the anointing teaches you. It equips you. 1 John 2.27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just that it has taught you, remain in him. Remain aligned in him. Remain under the alignment of the waterfall of God's presence. And I love the fact the anointing is real and not counterfeit. There's a lot of counterfeit things out there. I'm talking about within the church. 
And the reality is a lot of time we, because of a lot of counterfeit stuff, we just want to picture God's power, let's say walking God's power, as a lot of the showy stuff that we might see. But to me, seeing God's power is seeing someone when their life is falling apart, them having hope in the midst of disaster. God's power and presence is within their life. Having faith when it seems like there's no reason to have faith. Being able to step out and praying for people and seeing God move in special ways, mainly because we know that that person's life has the overflow of God's presence. So if we know that God's anointing teaches us, my question is, are we listening to God's spirit? He wants to prepare for you. Uh, he wants to prepare you for where he wants to take you. But if you're not listening to him today, how could you be where God wants you to be tomorrow? If there's a place God wants to take you 10 years from now, and his anointing is trying to teach you and guide you and equip you, and you're not listening to his voice, how are you going to be able to get to where he wants to go, take you, if you're not listening to him today? Number four, as we move on, it says this, the anointing empowers you. It says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's power is real. And God wants his power to be active throughout our lives. Not just in moments. If I, if I would ask you, it's like, you know, when did God move in your life? You might say, oh, I remember the retreat in 2010. Like, I cried. All right, that's 2010. We're in 2019. What's up? Nothing has happened last nine, nine years. It's like God's power is as active as back then in biblical days as it is today. But we don't experience it because our lives are filled with things that doesn't belong. So moving on, number five, the fifth truth is this. The anointing will cost you. It's going to cost you. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, it says, I'm just going to read a little bit in the beginning. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to skip down to verse 42. Now we know in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, filled them all with God's presence. And we know the book of Acts is filled with miracles. And just God moving in powerful and miraculous ways. But what we're going to see now, in, um, starting at verse 42 to 40, uh, verse 47, you're going to see the cost, the price it takes to be aligned to the waterfall of God's presence. Okay? Because we all want to be filled. We all want God to do what he wants to do in our lives. But are we willing to pay the cost that it takes. 
Starting at verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love the fact that it also says glad and sincere hearts because we know that God looks at the heart. He's not looking at the outward stuff. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. So, so even this, I'm, I'm going to give all of us homework because you know how it's a school day, back to school, you know, we pray for the kids, you know, homework. I want you to read tonight Psalm 23, and I know we kind of did it here where you measure your life to Psalm 23, but I want you to do it again. In the quietness of your room, after, if you have kids, after they've gone to sleep, you know what I mean? Go wherever you got to go. If you got to go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet, you got to sit on the toilet, whatever. Wherever it's quiet in the house, like find that corner that you got to go. And I want you to read Psalm 23, Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. Now, these are the main points I'm going to highlight. Four main points for you. Number one, about the pretty much the disciples, the apostles, the Christians, the early church Christians. Number one, they were hungry for God. They wanted more of God no matter what the price. They knew that their lives were on the line as well, but they were hungry for God. They weren't satisfied to be on a lazy river, drifting through life, seeing summers go, falls beginning, winter and spring, and not accomplishing what God wants for their life. They wanted more of God's presence. They, want, they don't want to be content where they are when it comes to God. They were hungry for more of God, and they didn't want that hunger to die. Are you hungry for God? And I, I appreciate, and of course, it's amazing that you're here this morning. But just because you're here doesn't mean you're hungry. Okay? It doesn't mean you're hungry. It could be tradition. It could be routine. It could be like you love Lydia's coffee out there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what brought you here this morning. I'm believing it's Jesus. But just because you're here doesn't mean you're hungry. And how come they're hungry? Very simple. A couple things from Acts 42, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted devotion. Is your walk devoted? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Did you see that? Every day. So guys, news for you, Christ Fellowship is open every day, starting tomorrow in the evening. All of you guys are welcome. Every day we're going to have a service. 
How would that make you feel? Be like, yo, chill, yo, I got to do other things. You're crazy, Carlos. You know, like, it's hard enough to carve out Sunday morning just for Jesus. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, this to show you how hungry they were. Sunday morning wasn't enough. Saturday, the Sabbath, wasn't enough. Every day they gathered for more. They devoted themselves to pray. They were hungry. When was the last time you prayed one-on-one just by yourself, not being led by anyone else because you really wanted to? Hungry, number one. Number two, they loved one another. They truly loved one another. It wasn't counterfeit. It wasn't fake. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread. All the believers were together. They, they even sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They loved one another. And what's amazing, it's not about loving those that are lovable. It's loving everyone. The person that you don't know in this room, you got to love them equally as you love the, whoever in your life that you love a lot. The person that speaks a different language, the person that looks different from you, the person that acts differently, the person that just came from another country, whatever it is, your love has to be exactly for them the same way it would be for someone that's lovable, you could say, in your life. Number one, hungry. Number two, loved one and number. Number three is humble. There was a humility that ran through that group. Pride wasn't there. Competition wasn't there. Everyone thought of other people before themselves. Now, how could I say that? A statement, just for you to see, they had everything in common. Doesn't that like, what? Like, do we have everything in common? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they had everything in common. How could that be? Is because what they had in common, the foundation, was just more of God in their life. They weren't in competition with one another. They weren't chasing after things that they didn't have to chase after. They had the common goal of having more of God in their life, and that pretty much overrided everything else that we get caught up, all this petty stuff so many times we get caught up with. They were humble as well because they sold, they even sold property and possessions to give to others in need. Humility is needed to be able to do that because your pride or let's say if you're just thinking about yourself, you, you wouldn't want to give something that might hurt you or take away from you to help someone else. This group was a humble, humble group. And lastly, they were rooted. They were rooted in God. And I tell you, because there from verse 42 to 47, they prayed, they listened to teachings, they fellowship, and they praised God, they worshiped. Those were even the outward um, things that we saw that were happening within their hearts too. But I guarantee you this, there was all-out obedience in their lives. God, I'm going to obey you no matter what you're asking me to do. I'm not going to pick and choose what I'm going to end up doing. No, no, no. What God says, that is the law in my life. I want to follow him no matter what. 
Also, faith. They were people of faith, believing God for the impossible. They also wanted to surrender everything for him and live the life of holiness, completely set apart for whatever God wanted for their life. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 7, starting at verse 37. It says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers, of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water. No more being thirsty. No more wondering what my purpose is. No more drifting through the lazy river. All of a sudden, the actual river is not something that you float on and you just go through life. Jesus said the rivers will actually flow from within your life. It will come out of you. Whoever, think, think about this. Jesus saying, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I don't know about you, but I want God's presence to flow like rivers out of my heart and life. I don't know how many seconds, days, weeks, months, or years I have left to live on this earth before either Jesus comes back or it's my time to go home. But I just know that there's, I don't want to spend one second drifting in a lazy river. I don't want to spend one second without being intentional of growing closer to God. I don't want to spend one, I want to be able to stand before God and be like, God, I wasn't drifting. I wasn't no lazy river for me. Jesus, I wanted all of you while I was there. All of you. I want to be able to be so engulfed with your presence and the river of your presence that I wanted to experience everything of it flowing out of my life. And think about it, when God's river of his presence flows out of your life, you could read Psalm 23 and it'll be true to you. That'll be you. You'll lack nothing. You'll fear nothing. You'll be able to lay down peacefully by the waters because God's power is truly in your life. If everyone could bow their heads, If you're here and you know that you're just not satisfied, I guarantee you it's because you filled your life with things that are unsatisfying. Things that the world gives you, things that the enemy dangles in front of you. The enemy wants to distract you and bring you elsewhere. Before you could be filled, you need to empty yourself out. If that's you, I want you to stand up wherever you are here in the theater, to stand to your feet. If you just know you want more of God, but you know that in your life you have to come before him, 
empty out the things that don't belong, the sins you might have compromised in, the things that you might have done, or whatever it may be. And let me tell you something. Sometimes we, li- we fill our lives with good things that are distractions to, um, to what, where God wants to take you. Sometimes we fill our lives just with family, let's say. Family's a good thing. But if you're not giving time to put God first, your family could become a distraction of where God wants to take you. Your own career could keep you away from fulfilling your destiny in God if it comes before God. Chasing after jobs or money, that could keep you away from what God has for you. You know, just being caught up with so many other things could keep you away. But if you know that you need to empty yourself out, I want you to stand. Some of you are still sitting and you know you need to stand. You know you need to stand. Because I really believe that the Holy Spirit is just pointing in your heart, be like, hey, look at this. This needs to change. Look at this. You need to surrender that to me. And right now, I'm going to give you a moment where you talk to God and ask God for forgiveness. Pour yourself out to God. Right now, one-on-one with no one else, I want you to do that now. In just a few seconds, remember the word anointing. Anoint means to rub and um, pretty much put oil Our pastors and elders are going to anoint you with oil on your forehead symbolically of God's presence filling you now that you've emptied yourself. Believe in God that as they lay their hands on you and they put the oil upon you, God's presence will fill you like that waterfall that we've been talking about. But not only that waterfall, but that the rivers would flow from within you. I want to also let you know that this month we're going to have a water baptism. In about three weeks here, we're going to have a time period that you could decide to surrender everything to God. We decided to do the baptism during this series because we believe that a crucial part of being aligned with God's presence is surrender and declaring that he is your Lord publicly for the whole world to see. So even before you leave today, if that's you, that you're even interested in the baptism, you could put your name and put it on the connect card. Father God, right now, this moment, as we open this altar and as the pastors and elders will begin to anoint those that want to come forward symbolically of your presence, God. God, we pray that your presence would descend and would overwhelm, would come like a waterfall above every life that decides to be filled again, God. We pray, God, that their lives would be filled to the overflowing, that the rivers of living water would burst forth from within them, God, that they would feel that the voids within their lives would be filled once again by your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, come forward.
If you choose to be anointed, we have five.